The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Right, happy Friday, everybody. You're watching Squawk Box with Karen Cho and myself, Steve Sedgwick. These are your headlines. Twitter shares rally in extended trade as the social media giant posts its fastest revenue growth since 2014, jumping over 70% after a revamp of its ad strategy. Intel, though, striking a cautious note for the year ahead as the chip titan warns of supply and price constraints. Shares lower after the bell despite a second quarter beat. U.S. airlines bounced back with American and Southwest posting a profit on the previous period as travel demand outweighs virus concerns. As Southwest CEO Gary Kelly tells CNBC, he is upbeat for the year. We've got a good shot at profitability for the third quarter as a whole, so um, there's no effect on our uh, demand right now from the Delta variant, and, and hopefully that will continue to be the case. The opening ceremony of the Olympics is just hours away. More athletes test positive for COVID amid a slew of scandals as Japan's Prime Minister tells NBC exclusively that rallying support for the Games has been a struggle. Beating uh, COVID-19 and uh, overcoming the difficulties of uh, COVID-19 uh, to uh, uh, go ahead uh, with the Games uh, and to uh, uh, convene the Games, I think uh, that has uh, value in itself. Plus, coming up on CNBC, we're here from one of the reported key dissenters at the ECB. That's the Belgian central bank governor, Pierre Wunsch, as President Christine Lagarde commits to persistently accommodative policy to meet inflation targets. I wouldn't say it's lower for longer. I would, I would say that it's an indication that none of us uh, would want to tighten prematurely. I think we're informed by past. Um, experience and by most recent history. I'm, I'm about to talk about Twitter, but before I do that and ruin the brilliantly put together rundown from Mohammed uh, and the team, um, persistently accommodative. I haven't heard that phrase before. And there'll be many people out there, many of you will be, few, thank goodness, uh, we've got the ECB watching our back. It's, it's a Draghi put, it's a Lagarde put as well. But for many of you out there who are saying, this is a central bank which will perhaps never get out of this spiral, perhaps a Japanification uh, of European policy where we end up with virtually zero negative rates for years to come. Persistently accommodative. I'm fascinated to see what the market thinks about that. And as such, I'll be asking the question a lot. Right, let me get back to the brilliantly uh, put together rundown from the team. Uh, Twitter shares jumped more than 5% higher in after hours trade after the social media group posted a second quarter revenue beat and rolled out new user targeting updates for advertisers. Uh, revenue from advertising came in at just over $1 billion, up 87% compared with the same period last year. CEO Jack Dorsey who has been a vocal advocate for Bitcoin, said during the earnings call, the cryptocurrency will play a large role in Twitter's future, particularly around transactions. Our colleague stateside will be speaking to the Twitter CFO, that's Ned Siegel, later today. Do not miss that. First one interview, 
14.35 Central European time. Good morning, Karen. And good morning, Steve. Well, easy comparables going on there at Twitter in the quarter, but very different story going on at Intel, as we know, with the chip shortage. And Intel shares are down in extended trading after the chipmaker warned of ongoing production constraints, leading to weaker sales towards the end of the year. Intel nevertheless raised its sales forecast for the year to $73.5 billion after second quarter revenues topped forecasts. During the earnings call, the CEO, Pat Gelsinger, said he expects to see more consolidation as the semiconductor group looks to overcome its supply bottlenecks. However, he declined to comment on reports that Intel is looking to acquire global foundries for some $30 billion. And be sure to tune in for that interview too when our US colleagues speak to Intel boss Pat Gelsinger, that is 1700 CET. And over at Snap, shares rose more than 17% in extended trading after the social media company beat revenue and user estimates. Snap reported a 23% rise in daily active users, its highest growth rate in almost four years. It was on the back of new features, including short-form viral clips. Snap said changes to Apple's privacy controls in the iPhone had caused some disruption to advertising revenue, although it is still gauging the full extent. Steve. Karen, um... Uh, this is a brilliantly put together rundown, but I'm all over the place today because I'm seeing fascinating things. That's kind of our job to be see fascinating things and tell them to the viewers. So I'm going to do that. We've got Hocken Samuelsson, who's the CEO of Volvo. He's a great guy and he's done some amazing things with the company as well. But he's just said this. We're speaking to him in 25 minutes. So I don't want to jump the gun too much. But he's saying unless supply of semiconductors improves, the company expects flat sales and revenue for the second half of the year despite the fact that there is strong customer demand. Don't you think that's actually fascinating? The fact that you've got another company which basically has come through the most horrendous economic upheaval, social upheaval, global upheaval, and is coming up the other end. And there is vast amount. It must be so frustrating for all of you people out there in semiconductor world or autos world or electronics world or whatever it may well be, that you've got massive demand coming through now, massive demand, pent-up savings for the first time ever, even in Britain and America, countries who like to spend a bob or two, and, and you can't satiate that demand. You're talking about huge delays for products as well. I'm seeing it all the time. I'm, my, my bedside tables, I told you about earlier, I've got, I had a travel update, a shipping update. I ordered them in April or March, end of October. I'll be lucky. Right, let's move on. Um, I thought they were made in France. <laughs> Never mind. Uh, I guess it's somewhere a bit further uh, east. Yeah. Right. Okay. This is what we did yesterday. We rallied again. Amazing, isn't it? What a week. This is actually a really quiet session in terms of the overall market move. It wasn't a quiet session in terms of the things I'm going to tell you that happened next because there was lots of fascinating stuff out there. Um, we've been talking about tech straight away. Salesforce up 2.5%. Amazon up 1.4%. Facebook up 1.4%. Microsoft up 1.6%. Apple up a percent as well. All kinds of stuff going on there. There were beats going on. There were broker upgrades. There was talk about more product demand from various ones in the Apple stage as well. So Salesforce, for instance, without Salesforce, here we Okay. Sorry, Adam, a bit quick. Uh, we would be down 16 points, uh, 15, 16 points on the industrial average on the Dow. So it's very interesting. It's, it is a market of stocks. It's one of those days, the market of stocks is right. Financials under a bit of pressure compared to the technology stocks as well. Bit of rotation going on as well. But uh, by and large, um, a decent rally for the week now. I'll, I'll, I'll just show you the Dow week, actually, while I witter on about something else. Jobless claims, again, they weren't great jobless claims if you're looking for job creation in the States. 419,000, up 51,000 week on week as well. But if you look at the continuing claims rather than the initial claims, they actually fell. 
So again, a very nuanced jobs picture. In fact, actually, the total number of individuals, Americans, on government support also fell. So the headline figure was mad. But the next two numbers, continuing claims, total number of Americans on government support, they actually both fell. So that was encouraging. What what the Treasury yields do? Nada. 126A. Again, I, I don't know what's going on there, but we'll, we'll keep trying to find out anyway. So that's what the Dow did for the week. By the way, four tenths of 1% higher. We've still got a session to go. S&P for the week as well. Right, he's getting me back on track here. 1% higher. 0.9 of 1%. And he wants to show me what the Nasdaq did as well. And I think this is where really, really the rally came from, isn't it? 1.8% higher for the week, despite the drubbing that the main markets got at the start of the week. What an extraordinary you have. The VIX, by the way, just came off again, 17.7. Had that real blip up to the mid-20s at one point, right back down again to high teens. Okay, let's have a look at the Asian indices and see what we can find out here as well. Um, the Japanese are back after their marine ocean holiday, up six tenths of one percent. All lies on Tokyo. And again, if you're in Tokyo watching the show today, you must feel very mixed feelings about what's going on with the Olympics as well. Personally, I just love the fact that there's so much sport going on, but I understand it. you're very worried about the social consequences. I get that. We'll be talking about that, I'm sure, much over the coming weeks as well. Uh, down on the Hang Seng, down 1.2% flat market on the ASX. Right, so Karen, um, we've got a market chat here, and I, I think I've almost said what I need to say, so the, the, the floor is yours. But I, I very much believe that this has become a market of stocks which is leading us higher. And of that market of stocks, it's all about the fact that you've had, I think, 21% um, of companies have earned now. And, and Mohammed again, and the wonderful team, they put together a really nice chart that came from our US colleague, Robert Hum, as well, just about the huge number of beats we're seeing in this sector as well. So I don't know if you can put that board up as you start to talk as well. Yeah, that was always going to be the case, though, right? We you think about the second quarter last year, we were right in the middle of the pandemic. We were dealing with a complete anomaly and we didn't know what the demand side was going to look like. I mean, most of the CEOs at this point were stressing about the supply side, hadn't even thought about the demand side. And then that was a wave that hit very, very quickly and we effectively fell off a cliff for a lot of these businesses. But what happened this year where you've had this huge recovery that's taken place in this quarter, a lot of businesses have already changed business models as well to capture some of the change around pandemic trends. So they're getting even higher numbers than what they had prior to the pandemic in 2019. So very easy comparables going on. The market was aware of that and sort of reset their expectations, some perhaps not resetting their expectations high enough to capture some of the optimism that is coming through in these report cards. And if you look at what's happened on the charts, it does look like an important week where we've had a bit of volatility. The market has bounced back and we've recaptured some of those losses that July was looking like it would be sitting on on global markets for a while. That said, I don't want to put too much importance on this particular trading week because it feels if you take a look at the psychology behind what traders are doing at this stage, I wonder whether we do have that much activity going on, whether we've got these exacerbated numbers because it's very low liquidity at this point. Uh, if you think about some of the big Wall Street announcements. A lot of the bankers, a lot of the traders are going to be going back from roughly about September. They've been on hiatus, they've been elsewhere. If they've been trading, they're not necessarily in the office or heading back in within uh, several weeks. So I wonder whether this is just that last uh, moment of downtime for a lot of people in the markets and you're not getting much volume as a result. So what happens when people return to their desks and have that like-minded attitude? They're in meetings, they're talking to each other. Do you get a very different market come September than what we're looking at now in July? Hi, Steve. 
Yeah, um, Carol, I think you're right. That, that it was always going to be the case that the comparisons were easy, but I don't think necessarily we, we knew we were going to see such a high level of beats. And, and, and as you know, I always think there's a sleight of hand going on with beats anyway, but they normally come in at 67 to 70%. Coming in at nearly 90% beat on the expectations of the market, I think that is quite an achievement this time round as well. And it just shows the strength, as we speak, of corporate America. Now, is there an issue with the debt loads that the, the, um, the, the companies are holding? I think there probably is, certainly if we get a higher interest rate environment. But in the benign interest rate environment we have at the moment uh, under Jay Powell at the Federal Reserve, and we know that there are talks about Jay Powell and what happens next. I think we saw that from JP Morgan because, of course, he's a Republican originally nominee uh, for that post as well. And does a Democrat administration want to uh, carry on with him? And so that, but then I don't think it really matters whether it's a Democrat or Republican. I can't believe we're going to get a very different mantra coming out of the Federal Reserve. But I do think it's a really impressive set of statistics. And I think that's really what's actually dragged us higher uh, from what was, again, a bit of a wobble early in the week. But um, you and I will carry on this conversation. I know in coming days and weeks as well. Right, next week is a huge week for tech earnings. Uh, you've got Tesla kicking off on Monday. On Tuesday, Alphabet, Apple, Microsoft all reporting. Uh, Facebook and Qualcomm are up on Wednesday. And on Thursday, Amazon uh, due out with their figures as well. In the meantime, we've just had numbers out from Signify. And the CEO, Eric Rondelat, is waiting for us. So I'm going to go to break. Uh, this is the Lighting Group reports improved margins on the quarter. And when we return from break, uh, not only will we continue the podcast, which Karen's already teasing now. I think actually the podcast goes on after the break, doesn't it? Anyway, but the point is, Karen's going to tease it. And then we'll come back to Eric after the break. Oh, we're going to talk more about... Uh... The latest earnings, Steve, don't forget, and uh, all this is in the podcast. You can keep tab of companies that are bouncing back as well as ones that are still feeling that pandemic pinch. So check out the Scorebox podcast. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Box. The ECB has vowed to maintain, quote, persistently accommodative stance on interest rates to meet its inflation targets. The July meeting reportedly sparked significant dissent within the governing council, with reports suggesting Germany's Jens Weidmann and Belgium's Pierre Wunsch objected to the dovish wording. But ECB President Christine Lagarde outlined how she views policy going forward. I wouldn't say it's lower for longer. I would, I would say that it's an indication that none of us uh, would want to tighten prematurely. I think we're informed by past um, experience and by most recent history. And I think this element of patience that you have between the midpoint and the end of the horizon and the fact that it has to not only be sufficiently early 
uh, and way ahead, as is indicated in the forward guidance, but also lasting, is precisely intended to avoid premature tightening that would be detrimental for the economy. We're going to speak to one of those hawks, though, later on today. Pierre Wunsch will be joining us, governor of the National Bank of Belgium and ECB governing council member. That conversation coming away at 11 CET. Um, let's go to Signify. Um, second quarter sales, 1.6 billion euros. Operational profitability of 10.9%. Cash, uh, free cash flow. 104 million euros net profit, 82 million euros. Continue to expect comparable sales growth of 3 to 6% for the full year 2021. EBITDA margin improved by 190 basis points to 10.9%. That's really interesting, as actually, uh, given they're talking about an adjusted EBITDA margin going forward of 11.5 to 12.5. Uh, that's me going on enough. Let's get straight to the CEO, Eric Rondelat, who is the CEO of Signify, and joins us now from Amsterdam. Really nice to see you as ever. Eric, thank you. And, and look, by the way, we never take for granted uh, you joining us. So thank you very much indeed for that. Look, um, I'm going to ask you a slightly different question here. Your shares have absolutely rocketed both this year and from the lows, which was pretty much exactly a year ago as well. Now, I know CEOs don't like to talk about shares. They like to say, oh, no, I'm concentrating on the operational performance. But your company's doing well, Eric. But do you think it justifies the ebullience that's come back into your shares? Uh, good morning, Karen. Good morning, Jeff. You know, I think you will not escape the comments on performance because I think it is also linked to the to, to the value of the share. I think we had a, a strong 2020, uh, you know, despite uh, a very disrupted environment, as you know, uh, because we declined uh, quite substantially uh, double digit in 2020. We were still capable uh, to improve our operating margin by 40 basis points. And I think that together with the change of our growth profile, I think this was, uh, this was valued and appreciated uh, by, uh, by the markets. Um, it's Steve, by the way. I, I think you thought Eric, uh, Jeff's the handsome one. He's not here at the moment. He's, he's on holiday. He's back next week. Now, look, Eric, um, supply constraints continuing to impact us in the second half of the year. We're confident that the measures we have taken will enable us to counter those challenges and deliver our guidance for the year. Let me ask you a question. We know there are supply issues. We hear it every day from people like yourselves, and we'll hear it from uh, Hawk and Samuelson in a few moments' time from Volvo. Once those supply issues work their way out in the second half of the year, will the price increases that have been associated with those supply issues, will they still remain, or will prices become softer? So the... the the, the issue is, is real. You know, we have been able to count that 85 million uh, were not invoiced by Signify in the first semester uh, because of the fact that we were not able uh, to, uh, to deliver. We've been uh, increasing prices because we believe that there is an inflation that has two different characteristics. One of them is more uh, transitory. Uh, you know, it's linked to the fact that capacity is not there and, you know, capacity will be built up. And also to the fact that there is a lot of speculation on the market. You know, at this point in time, we can buy components 40 times the price than what we used to buy them before. But that part of the inflation is transitory. We think there is another part of the inflation which is more structural. The world is changing. Uh, you know, behind climate change, you have a lot of different avenues that are going to change our infrastructures, not only talking about how electricity will take, you know, a more prevalent 
um, place in everything that we do. So price of copper and other commodities, uh, co uh, commodities will probably go up, you know, for the longer run. And what we do from a price perspective, you know, we try not to take too much into account this transitory part of uh, the, the inflation, but we have to take into account the one which is more uh, structural. So we have increased uh, prices uh, in, uh, in 2021, and, and we think that our prices are well positioned, taking what I've said into account previously. Eric, uh, good morning. I've got a couple of ESG questions that I want to explore through your earnings. And what jumped out in the commentary around the second quarter was the traction that you're seeing on the consumer side. Just how strong is that momentum? And what is it uh, like relative to history? Because we're obviously seeing businesses very much adopt ESG, but I wonder whether consumers are really picking up on this challenge around the Paris Agreement. I think uh, when we talk about you know the Paris Agreement and all the different incentives that are being uh, played at this point in time, uh, it's more on the professional side that we see business traction. By the way, we don't see it uh, very much at this point in time. Okay, we've secured in the south of Europe a project which is pretty much in line you know, with the Green Deal, but we see a lot of quotations uh, happening and we believe that the impact will be felt you know, in Q4 uh, and in Q1 uh, next year. I think on the consumer side, we've progressed a lot you know, on, uh, on, on UVC. We're progressing a lot on connected lighting because people stay home and they want to equip their home. And, uh, uh, you know, we have uh, a great uh, platform in order for them uh, for them to do so. But I would say uh, it has not hit yet the consumer. When it comes to geographies, too, I just want to get into that because I can't tell from the numbers where you've got very strong growth in Europe but on sales and the rest of the world is strong as well. Whether you're seeing this disparity, because one of the issues around COVID is that you're seeing some governments struggle with their finances at this point. You're seeing a lot of revenue income destroyed in some of the poorer nations in the world. Are you seeing a greater difference in the adoption of a cleaner, better lighting solutions in developed nations versus some of the more developing parts of the world? When you look, Karen, at our performance in Q2, uh, the thing is that we see is that we're recovering from the crisis uh, much better than in Q1. So that's a clear improvement. But it's a performance uh, in a disrupted environment. But also, you know, as you say, a performance which is much more in line with uh, our strategic uh, objectives. So what is growing uh, in signified this point in time, what is driving the growth is our strategic business, connected lighting and the growth platform. When you go at the level of the, the planet, uh, we see a continuous recovery uh, in China. We see an improvement in the Americas, and I would exclude Canada uh, that uh, had very severe lockdowns in Q2. Uh, Europe has been slightly uh, declining in Q2 from a recovery standpoint, and the rest of the world has been very much impacted by what is happening in India, in Indonesia, in ASEAN, where the, the lockdowns have been extremely severe uh, in Q2. So you see a lot of disparity. When it comes to the adoption of our solutions, you know, if I tell you that in a warehouse today, you can not only save 80% of your energy consumption linked to lighting, but you can also thanks to lighting, improve your workspace uh, and you can uh, manage uh, and you can improve the productivity of your people at work and also improve the condition of security and safety. All that can be done with lighting. And, and we see these types of lighting systems being adopted in every type of country, whether they're emerging or whether they are uh, mature economies. Um, can I go back to your 
answer from three ago, which I, I thought was fascinating, Eric, and I thought it was one of the best answers I've had actually about inflation that's really out in the system. You said two things that really interested me. One, that some of your components are 40 times more expensive now due to a combination of factors. I thought that was extraordinary as well. The, the second point you said is, look, it, there's a lot of structural going on as well. Longer term, it's not just these transitory issues as well. Can I ask you a bigger question? Are the policymakers getting this wrong? Because all I hear, and, and you know this better than I, you're a very smart man, on both sides of the Atlantic, all I hear is it's transitory, it's transitory. Why are policymakers refusing to admit what you just said, that there is a large amount of structural inflation coming through in the system? Jeff, I'm, I'm not a politician, but there's something that we have to understand at this point in time. There's, a, there's an inconsistency between interest rates and uh, potential inflation. And, you know, maybe that equation is difficult to square for the people that you're mentioning. But I think, you know, the proof is in the making. Uh, we have to wait a little bit and probably we'll come to, uh, uh, to the reality that there is an underlying inflation that is there uh, to last, you know. But after a crisis like the one that we have been experiencing and the change uh, in some structural elements in the economies, you know, may naturally call for a little bit of inflation. I think we should not uh, deny it. We have to tackle this issue very seriously and, and, and do it now. Got a 10 second question. I can get a 10 second answer. Was you, you do the um, uh, Alliance Stadium lighting, don't you? Yeah. What a shame that UEFA didn't let them have those pride colours. It would have looked absolutely magnificent, wouldn't it? You know, the, the facade of the Alliance Arena is, is beautiful. We've installed that, I think it's eight to ten years ago, and the rendering is like on the first day, so that goes for the quality of what we're delivering. You know, at, at the end of the day, uh, we were uh, pretty much uh, involved in that specific story, not to, you know, uh, comment whether it was a good thing or a bad thing that they could not do it, but just to make sure uh, that, uh, you know, there were no people trying to hack uh, the system and, and, and try to put the colors that they wanted, you know, on the facade. And uh, the, the rest, you know, is more between the UEFA and uh, the Alliance Arena to um, to fix the issues they have together. For us, we uh, uh, deliver uh, great technology that enables, you know, fascinating scenes. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to CNBC.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.